That's a great thought, isn't it? He will hold me fast. He will hold on to me. Paul wrote to the Philippian church, remember, and he said, he who begins a good work in you will see it through until the end. It's a great thought about God holding on to us fast. Uh, we are uh, seeking to inform our own relationship with God through being mentored by Moses and his relationship to God because Moses you know, had a really neat relationship with God. Exodus 33 says that Moses and God were friends. And uh, if you're familiar, in John chapter 15, Jesus uh, got to the point with his guys where he said, you know, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Like, we're in this together. We're friends. We see eye to eye. We're moving forward together. Um, that's a great relationship. And Moses had a relationship uh, like that with God. Uh, now, when Moses was 80, okay, 80, that's like two-thirds through of his life. So, like, if you said, well, I'm planning to live to be 90. I just picked that because it's easy to do the math. It'd be like uh, God coming to you when you're 60, right? Remember, God came to Moses when he's 80 uh, at Mount Sinai at, uh, uh, through a burning bush he talked to Moses, and he said, you know, to Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and I want you to go get my people and get them out of Egypt. And then um, in Exodus chapter 3, where God is talking to him, he says this. Uh, you know, Moses says, who am I to do that? And God says, it really doesn't matter who you are. I'm going with you. You'll be okay. Right? You remember that? And then God says this. Um, he says, this is going to be a sign for you that I have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you're going to come right back to this mountain and you're going to serve God right here. Okay? So we've been trying to track this a little bit and we're in Exodus chapter 19 this morning. And in Exodus chapter 19, sure enough, here's Moses with all the people camped around the base of Mount Sinai and God's going to speak again. God's going to speak through Moses and he's going to speak this time to the whole group of people. And he's going to give them the Ten Commandments. And uh, right before that uh, is where we are this morning as God prepares them uh, to listen. And so they're all camped around there exactly like God said was going to happen. And uh, God calls uh, Moses up to the mountain and God says this. Here's what I want you to tell the people. Now imagine this, right? Mount Sinai. Nobody's exactly sure which mountain is Mount Sinai. There's a number of different scholarly attempts to identify the exact mountain that that is. Uh, but <clears throat> Moses goes, God talks to him, he says, um, here's what I want you to say to the people, verse 4 of chapter 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if, if, you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession. Now, I don't know about you, but I think of like a guy on his knee proposing to his future wife or his fiance, saying something like this. You will be my treasured possession, God says. Okay. Uh, among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. 
if you listen to me, if we are really friends and we really are in this together and we move forward together, you will be a kingdom of priests and you will be a holy nation. These are the words that you, Moses, shall speak to the people of Israel. So God says, Moses, here's what I want you to tell the people, okay? Now, I want to suggest to you that uh, one of the, uh, well, I want to suggest to you that this marks a change in the way God deals with people. Up to this point in time, uh, God has simply said, this is what I'm going to do. But when we get to this point, God says, now listen, if you will do your part, I will do mine. Okay? One of the ways of talking about the way that God interacts with people is uh, understanding that his relationship with people, he enters into various deals or contracts with people. The Bible calls them covenants, right? A covenant is simply an agreement between two parties, um, and sometimes if the covenant is really significant, uh, God creates a ceremony to go along with it. Okay, like in Genesis chapter 15, when God made this really special covenant with Abraham, and uh, God, you know, uh, split the animals, and he walked through them by himself because there was nobody uh, higher than God to swear by and so on, and uh, created this kind of a ceremony. But it's basically an agreement between uh, two parties. And there are two kinds of covenants or two kinds of contracts in the Bible. There's unilateral, where God simply says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth, all the ethne, all the ethnic groups, all the nations of the world through you. I'm I'm just going to do it. You don't have any say in it, Abraham. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it through you, and and so on. And so, um, you know, there's a unilateral, and then there's, of course, a bilateral. Uh, Sometimes God just declares what he's going to do, And then sometimes there's kind of a a bilateral where God enters into, like with the people of Israel at this point in time, if you do your part, I'll do mine, and there is this kind of bilateral uh, covenant. But if you go back to the very uh, sort of beginning of time, um, I think maybe the first uh, time that God enters into kind of a covenant or an agreement with people is... Uh, In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it's kind of the first time God uh, is responding to Adam and Eve's sin, and uh, he's mad at Satan, and so the Lord speaks to Satan, and uh, here's what he says in Genesis 3.15. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring or seed and her offspring or seed, whom we now know is Jesus. He's going to bruise you on your head. You're going to bruise his heel. This is what I'm going to do, God says. I'm not asking you. This is just what's going to happen. Someday down the road, you know, and it's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? The seed of a woman. It's a reference to the virgin birth. Jesus comes from Mary without a human father, right? The seed of a woman is going to destroy you, Satan. It's going to crush your head. You're going to bite him on the heel. That's what happened on the cross. But ultimately, you're going to be crushed by the seed of this woman. And, uh, you know, uh, you go on here. God just says, I will. This is what I'm going to do. It's the first promise of salvation in the Bible. And then you move forward a little bit, and in Genesis chapter 4, you know, things get worse. Cain kills Abel. Uh, Lamech, uh, Noah's father, messes up big time. And uh, finally, in chapter 6, in verse 5, 
You know, here's what we read. I think this is one of the saddest uh, verses in the entire Bible. Uh, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. And so the Lord said, you know what? I'm going to blot out man and the flood came. And, uh, you know, uh, and Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives you know, survived the flood, of course, in the ark, and the flood is over, and uh, Shem, Ham, and uh, Jepheth are the three sons of Noah, and uh, God makes a covenant with Noah. Again, God just says, look, this is what I'm going to do. In uh, chapter 8 and verse 21, uh, God just kind of comes and says this. He says, uh, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. All right? Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do it. I'm not asking for permission. I'm not, you know, looking for you to agree with me or not. I'm just telling you uh, the Green New Deal is not necessary. I got it covered, right? I I got it here. Uh, There will be seasons and there will be... Uh, I'll see to it that it's taken care of. And then in Genesis chapter 9, if you just keep moving forward here, uh, God comes and makes a promise. Uh, Again, kind of a unilateral uh, agreement in Genesis chapter 9 that God's going to dwell or his presence is going to be with the Shem, with Shem's line. There's three sons of Noah and God's presence is going to dwell with Shem and uh, Ham's line and Canaan are going to serve Shem. And uh, the descendants of Shem uh, lead all the way down to Abraham. Abraham is a descendant of Shem. And the descendants of Shem are called Semites, Semites. So I'm sure you're familiar with the word anti-Semitism. You think, well, where does that come from? Well, it comes from right here. God made a promise, you know, unilateral promise. I am going to dwell with the people who descend from Shem, and they become the Israelites, and, um, you know, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to the 12 sons of Jacob and so on and to uh, where we're at today where, you know, this family became really a, a nation. And then, uh, of course, uh, there's another crisis, the Tower of Babel, and all the people get together. They want to make a name for themselves. And God comes then in chapter 12 of Genesis and, again, makes a unilateral, uh, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do in your life. You're going to have a son. You're going to become a nation. You're going to, uh, through you, all the peoples in the world, Jesus is going to come through your line. He's going to bless all the nations in the world. That's what I'm going to do. You, you know, are just, you're, you're going to be along for the ride uh, because that's what I'm going to do through you. And so Abraham is 75 years old when God comes to him in Genesis uh, chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. Remember when all the people came together to Tower of Babel and said, we're going to make a name for ourselves. God comes and answers and says, I'm going to make your name great, Abraham, because you're going to be a connection to me, and you're going to be a connection to uh, bless all the families of the earth. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will uh, uh, curse those who dishonor you. And uh, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is a great missionary text. At the very beginning, God's intent through the nation of Israel and ultimately through Jesus is to bless all the peoples of the earth. 
That's what we're a part of. That's what we're in line. Over 4,000 years ago, God said, here's my purpose. Here's my goal. Here's what I'm doing in the world. I want to bless every nation, every ethne, the word is, uh, of the world. And I'm going to do it, you know, through my people. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Five times uh, God repeats this promise that he made to Abraham. He repeats it to Isaac and to Jacob and so forth. Worldwide blessing was the purpose of God, you know, uh, making uh, the promises that he makes here. And when we get to the New Testament in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 3 and verse 8, uh, Paul picks up on this and he says, uh, he's referring back to this promise to Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. As far as uh, scripture is concerned, uh, what God gave to Abraham was the gospel, the gospel truth that God is going to bless. That's what he's going to do. It's a unilateral promise. I am going to bless people from every ethne, every nation in the world. And it started back here with Abraham, and uh, we're studying how it uh, works out as we go forward. So the part of this promise where God says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you is where we're at. It's where Moses comes in. You remember, uh, it was the family of uh, Abraham that uh, went down to Egypt. They started out with 70 people, right, the family. And uh, it grew to over a couple of million in 430 years, the Bible says. Uh, They were down there. And so now it's time to become a nation. And so now God comes to them and says, listen, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. I'm going to speak. I'm going to, I want you to be my treasured possession I'm going to make you unique out of all the nations of the world, and uh, I'm going to make a covenant with the Israelites. But it's a different kind of covenant. It's a conditional covenant. It's if you will do this, you will be my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and so on. Uh, Now, the people, right, who are listening to this coming from Moses haven't even heard the deal yet, haven't uh, even explored the terms of the covenant. They don't even know... Uh, what they're agreeing to, but in Exodus chapter 19, they respond to the idea of being the treasured possession of God. Again, I think of it like a girl with stars in her eyes, and this guy is on his knee proposing to marry her and saying, I want to make you my treasured possession, and she's not thinking about what's involved or how bad it could possibly get. She's just like, yeah, and so here, Verse 7, Moses came and he called the elders of the people together, set before them all these words that the Lord commanded him to say. And the people answered together and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We'll do it. We're in. Let's go for it. You know, this is pretty exciting. And Moses reported the words of the people back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. Believe Moses forever. And so the people are all excited. But a little bit later on, um, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28, uh, Paul, uh, Moses is sort of summarizing what happened. Remember, the words to Deuteronomy are the next generation of Israelites. Moses is still alive, but he's speaking to the kids of all the people who wandered around in the desert, and uh, here's what he says about this time where God uh, was meeting them on the Mount, Mount Sinai. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above 
all the other nations of the earth. Here's my purpose, God is saying. I'm going to make you unique. You're going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a holy nation. You're going to be different than all the other nations. I'm going to put you high above all the other nations of the earth, and all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. And then there's a list of all the things God wants to do for the Israelites. But then, he says in verse 15, but if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and all his statutes that I command you today, then these curses are going to come upon you and overtake you. And then there's a list of all the kind of curses uh, that will come upon the people if they choose to not obey and to not respond to him. And so God's covenant here with Moses is very different than God's covenant with Abraham. Right? This is a different, this is a bilateral covenant. And uh, the uh, Mosaic covenant was almost, uh, you know, like a constitution. Uh, the Ten Commandments and so forth. It's almost like a document that spells out uh, the relationship between a king and the people in his kingdom. Here's the role you're going to have. Here's the role I'm going to have and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, God, you know, first he revealed his power. Right down in Egypt, he like you know did all those miracles to get the people freed up from the Egyptians. So he puts his power on display. He parts the Red Sea to let the people know how powerful he is. And then God shows his presence with the cloud and the pillar, and uh, the promise to be with the Semites, you know, uh, and so forth. And then he shows his provision in spite of all the grumbling of the people. He gives them the food and the water, sends them quail, you know, uh, so that they can have a bird for Thanksgiving. I mean, they have, you know, God does all of this, but now he's going to show off his righteousness. He's going to expose to the people uh, what's right and wrong and uh, his righteousness, and especially in the Ten Commandments. He's going to reveal his moral side, his absolutes, the Ten Commandments. And so Moses tells the people, all right, get ready. God's going to speak to you. It's going to be a dark cloud. And he's going to speak to you, and you need to get ready. And so in verse 9 of uh, uh, Exodus 19, uh, Moses starts to tell the people uh, how to get ready for God is going to speak to them, okay? And so uh, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud so that the people can hear and uh, believe you forever. When Moses told the words of of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and get ready because on the third day, I'm going to, I'm going to give the deal. I'm going to give the covenant. I'm going to give the 10 commandments. I'm going to explain to you what your part is. Get ready on the third day. Uh, For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Uh, Whether beast or man, uh, he shall not live. And uh, when the trumpet sounds, a long blast, uh, they shall come up the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain told the people, consecrated the people, they washed their garments, and he said to the people, be ready, because on the third day, uh, uh, God's going to speak. So, 
the whole idea here is separation. The whole idea here is to help people understand that we're not God. And God is very different than us, right? And so the idea is don't come too close. The idea is separation. Uh, God is saying uh, the limits and the boundaries that are designed for you uh, are to keep you at a distance. Because why? Because God is holy and people are sinful. Because God is purity and people are contaminated. Because God is rightness and people are wrongness. And uh, on the day that God actually speaks, listen to this. I'll, I'll just read it for you. Try to imagine this. God, it's the day now and God's speaking to the people. On the morning of the third day, there were thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Can you imagine being there at the base of the mountain as all this drama you know, was going on because God uh, was coming to speak uh, to the people? And uh, when I read this, uh, you know, it just reminded me, it, it sounds, right, like a description of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back, right? I mean, there's trumpet, there's earthquake, there's, you know, and uh, the reaction of the people to all of the uh, drama here in Exodus, in chapter 20, verse 18, it says, when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid, and they trembled, and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, hey, you speak to us, and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, don't fear, do not fear, for God has come to test you. This is a test, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So the people have this reaction to God's presence like, wow, we can't deal with this. We can't, uh, you know, we can't survive if this keeps going. And it just reminded me of, um, you know, how the Bible describes what's going to happen on the day when the Lord comes back. In uh, Revelation chapter 6, uh, we read this when Jesus opened the sixth seal I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars uh, of the sky fell to the earth like fig tree sheds its uh, winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? The idea of being in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God has the same reaction, you know, back here in the Old Testament as we read is going to happen uh, when the Lord returns. And so there's this 
uh, awesomeness about God coming. And Exodus really is a foreshadowing of what God has promised for our future. Uh, Exodus is really a foreshadowing of our salvation, of being delivered from Pharaoh and us being delivered from sin and being freed to be able to serve the purposes of our God. Uh, That's really what the Exodus was all about, so that Israel might be free to uh, accomplish God's purpose. They were released from serving Pharaoh so that they could uh, serve the Lord. In uh, chapter 9 of Exodus, in verse 16, uh, again, God reiterates the whole purpose for doing all of this. He says, for this purpose I've raised you up, to show you my power that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Why is God doing all this? Why all the drama? Why, you know, is everything so fixed? And, and uh, why is it such a, a big, big deal? Because God is trying to show the entire world who he is and how much power he has. And so Israel has the opportunity, I'm going to suggest to you, to become God's treasured possession. And uh, I just wanted to kind of ask the question, you know, what do you think makes Israel so valuable? What do you think makes these people so valuable? Why are they uh, so important to God? And uh, let me just answer my own question here, uh, because in Deuteronomy 7, again, Moses writes, and he says, he's talking to the people, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than all the other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chosen you, for you were the fewest of all people, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. What is it that makes the people so valuable? It's simply the love of God. It's God loving these people. What is it that makes us valuable? What is it that makes us as believers valuable? Isn't it simply the love of God? Some people think, oh, you know, I can become valuable. I can make a name for myself if I just collect enough money or if I just get enough power, if I just, you know, uh, get the promotions or if I just live in enough luxury or whatever it is. And here's God saying, listen, learn a lesson from the people of Israel. The value of our lives comes from the fact that the God who created us loves us. And in our case, is willing to sacrifice his son, as we sang about this morning, in order to redeem us and to buy us back. Doesn't these people's value come directly from God's love and affection? And God's purpose for them, uh, you know, uh, comes from God's love for them and the price that he's willing to pay. I don't know if there's some antique, uh, you know, collectors here, but, you know, everybody says that, the value of any antique is what somebody's willing to pay for it, right? That's what gives us its value. If nobody's willing to pay for it, well, then it you know, goes to the dumps, I guess. But what was God willing to pay for us? You know, the precious blood of Jesus, not silver and gold, but the precious blood of his only begotten son. And that's what gives us our value. Uh, so, This treasured possession 
uh, of God, this uh, highly valued group of people, this treasured possession was to be a kingdom of priests, or a, uh, some of your Bibles might say a royal uh, priesthood. Now, if you think about it, a priest, okay, is somebody who represents God to people and represents people to God. A priest is a mediator, right, between God and people. And so God says, my people Israel is going to be a nation that will represent God to people, that's my plan, and going to represent the people uh, back to God. Uh, The whole world, all people belong to God, and God puts Israel as a nation, this treasured possession among the nations, uh, and gives her this really special task to mediate uh, for uh, him. In... um, Deuteronomy, again, chapter 4, and uh, looking back and uh, talking to this next generation, uh, Moses writes, he says, you know, uh, it's God's plan for you to keep all of these commandments and to do them uh, so that you, that will be, that'll be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the other people. Listen, you need to obey my commandments and live like I'm telling you because then all the other nations are going to see your superiority. Okay, and uh, God is saying, look, and and when they hear about all these statutes, they're going to say, surely this great nation, Israel, is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all these laws that I set before you today. See God's plan? You know, God's plan is to make Israel special, treasured possession, kingdom of priests, so that they can mediate for the whole world because God's purpose is to shed his love onto all the various nations and ethne of the world. Somebody put it like this, God so loved the world that he chose Israel. God so loved the world that he chose Israel to be his treasured possession and to, you know, uh, allow them. And, and of course, um, this never happens. Unfortunately, this never happens. If you've read the Old Testament, you know that Israel just, you know, they never measure up. They never uh, keep all the commandments. They become stubborn and uh, so on. And so, guess what? We get into the New Testament and uh, Peter You know, everybody loves Peter, and uh, Peter says to the church now, right, you are a chosen race. I'm reading from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Israel, you blew it. You had your opportunity. We had a deal. You didn't hold up your end. Now I'm going to, you know, the Bible calls it a new covenant, a new deal, a new deal. And uh, he goes on here, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And all of a sudden, the church, you know, becomes this light to the world and this promise that God made to Abraham, I am going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. And and God is still in the process of working it out in spite of Uh, the fact that Israel, unfortunately, never lived up to its end of the promise. And so the promise of God remains consistent, uh, but entering into the blessings of that promise depends on the individual's response to God's offer, to God's deal, right? 
And so uh, finally, uh, the third thing about uh, what God said is that Israel was to be a holy nation. They were to be different than all the other nations. They were to be holy. Holy simply means set apart, different. It means separated. They were supposed to be different, okay, but they wanted to be like all the other nations and so on. And this was a test, you know, if you obey. Uh, Moses says it was a test, and if you don't obey, uh, you're not going to be holy. You're not going to be different. You're going to be like everybody else, and uh, you, you're going to be hampered in your opportunity to uh, be priests and so forth. And so as you know, uh, the whole group of people said we're in when they first heard it, but as time went along, uh, their actions said we're not in. We're not in. And so uh, as time goes on, uh, Moses kind of, uh, again, gives a prophecy in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and uh, verse 6. Uh, I think this is an early prophecy and looks forward to the future. But uh, here's what, uh, where am I? I'm sorry, lost my place. Well, I told you this. The print in my Bible keeps shrinking. I I don't understand what it is. Here's here's what Moses says is going to happen in the future. The Lord your God is going to circumcise your hearts and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God is going to put all these curses on your enemies and so forth. This is, I think, a prophecy about the future. God's going to make a new covenant. And so when we move forward uh, to uh, Jeremiah, you know, this is about 800 years later, Jeremiah, and uh, a number of prophets pick up on this sort of prophecy that there's going to be a new covenant, but Jeremiah spells it out pretty plain. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, this is kind of a, a sad uh, passage of Scripture, but in Jeremiah uh, chapter 7, And verse 23, uh, here's what God says. This command I gave them, obey my voice and I'll be your God and you're going to be my people. Walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear. They didn't listen, but they walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their own evil heart and they went backwards, not forwards. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent my servants, the prophets, to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but they stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they're not going to listen to you. You shall call to them, but they're not going to answer you. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline Truth has perished, it's cut off from their lips. What a sad commentary on God's treasured possession. And then as Jeremiah goes forward, as you know, in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31, uh, here's what God says. Behold, days are coming, future, declares the Lord, and I'm going to make a new covenant, a new covenant. With the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I'm going to make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I'm going to put my law within them. 
I'm going to write it on their hearts, and I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people. And no longer will people say to their neighbor, hey, get to know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is still in the future for Israel. There are a number of prophecies that talk about part of the end times, Israel repenting, recognizing Jesus. I mean, it's a hallelujah moment, right, that's going to happen in the future for Israel. But this new covenant, this new deal, is enacted by Jesus and available today for anybody who will simply trust God, anybody who will take him at his word, anybody who will believe him and uh, understand that right from Abraham all the way to today, God has been faithful to the promise he made to Abraham. His intent is to bless all people on the earth, including every one of us. And this new covenant, this new deal that God has made through Jesus is available to anybody who will simply take God at his word and trust him. Praise God, a new covenant. We could go on in Hebrews. It says, you know, that uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament are represented by two mountains. You got Mount Sinai, is the old covenant, the old deal that God made, and you got Mount Zion and the new Jerusalem, uh, the new deal that God made through Jesus and his son. And, uh, but... We're out of time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. There's nothing that can really stop you from doing what you intend to do. And Father, you tell us in the Bible that all the stuff that happened to Israel happened so that we could learn from them, so that we could understand, Father, what our human nature is and what your nature is like and who you are and what you're up to and what you're doing and why we all exist and why the church is here and all of this. I think of uh, Paul saying that, you know, the church is supposed to be making Israel jealous today, that we have what was promised to them, but they missed out on. And uh, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would accomplish those things through us, your people. And uh, I pray, Father, that we would recognize that we're part of a better covenant We're part of a better deal that you made where you took more upon yourself so that we could be free, so that you could deal with us simply by grace, that we don't deserve anything that you've given us, but you've given it anyway, in order that you might still accomplish your purpose that you set out at the very beginning. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your word. Thank you for that we can understand what we're a part of, that we're a part of something that's thousands of years old and still in play. And Father, that there is a future that's yet glorious to come and that we're going to be a part of it. And so we just thank you for the new deal. We thank you for the new covenant that you made that enables us, Father, to come into your kingdom with every privilege that you promised Israel, that we might be your treasured possession, that we might be a kingdom of priests, and that we might be holy people set apart for your purposes in Jesus' name.